Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, the big show, the most important critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our car. And we're on the road today. We are... This was a mystery show, except for this is the second attempt to record it. <laughs> the first one went badly, so I cut it off after three minutes, and we're trying it again. So it's no longer a mystery show. She now knows what the subject is, so we're going to talk about it anyway. We are right now in southern Iowa. We're in the heart of Amish country. A lot of our Amish neighbors are uh, living out here. About and, to uh, go past an excellent cheese shop. Yes. <clears throat> Actually, we're in Milton, Iowa. It's no harm in saying where it is. This um, is a very, very large Amish community. So why are we talking about the Amish today? Well, because we want to talk about not just, I mean, the Amish as a, as a group, but the Amish as a, an idea, as a lifestyle, and how that is the way that they do things we can learn from. So, am I saying we all need to give up all of our modern in, or modern inconveniences <laughs> and ride uh. horses? Well, yeah, I am. No. <laughs> no, but they, there's so much that they do that we can learn from. And I'm trying myself, I'm really trying to, to turn over a new leaf. And so far, it's being only partially successful. It's kind of windy yet. The leaf turns one way and turns the other way. Right. Uh, well, <clears throat> bottom line, we see a lot of what the Amish do. We see how they make money for their house. And by the Amish, I'm using them as a example group. I'm not. This has nothing to do with their religion. I'm not even really sure exactly, you know, where their yeah. religious part fits. It has nothing to do with religion. I'm talking about people who choose to live an alternative lifestyle that is basically uh, acceptable to everybody. I don't think anybody really uh, gets offended by Amish people. And if they do, heck with them. Yeah. That's their and, problem. And uh, there are parts of the Amish lifestyle that really, really, really translate well to prepping. There are parts that don't translate at all to prepping. So let's talk about it. Let's take a look at it. One of the things I really see in both the Amish and the Mennonite communities is a very strong sense of community and a very good... Um, set of approaches for bringing community together to do the big jobs that are really hard for individual households to manage. They do that very well. Uh, one example of that is the uh, emergency response team from the Mennonites in our, in our home county. And it's a, a whole bunch of, well, okay, it's men in, in that particular community. No, it, it's isn't, no, well, it isn't, it isn't. Well, it's everybody. They've got but the women mostly do the canteen. But that's a big deal. Yeah, keeping people fed is a big deal. And they do a lot. They do a lot of stuff. I mean, they really. I mean, it's. There are other kinds of community things that the women mostly take care of, and the guys don't. Right, but and it's what, less visible. And what the women also do 
in this in this community while the while the men are out doing the emergency relief, the women do the men's work at home. Yeah, because there's a lot of keep work. The farm to, running. They keep the farm running. Farms do not stop for emergencies. No, they do not stop for bad so, weather. The women are working every bit as hard as the men. It's just they may not be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, trust me, I know the hard work of staying at home while the the team is out doing things. And I will tell you, been there. Um, you go right. But one of the one of the key facets of both the Amish and the Mennonite communities. It's community. It's not just family. Is the work ethic. There is a serious work ethic, and it all comes down to being part of this tight-knit community. Uh, I'm not saying there aren't lazy Amish. I'm not saying there aren't lazy Mennonites. But there are not lazy Amish and lazy Mennonites who are in good standing with the community. And they also don't seem to have the attitude of work is somewhere I hate to go, but I have to go to make some money, and then I get set free to live my real life. Uh, it you just described feels... my life. <laughs> she just described my life. For the moment. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> we're working on it. That's one of the leaves we're trying to get turned over here now, isn't it? Yes, uh, that's, very much so. That's part of the deal. They do work a whole lot, but it's a whole different variety of tasks, and it's less like feeling chained to what you're doing and doing it at somebody else's bidding. Um, when there is something that's too big for individuals to do, they will all gather together and help somebody out, but there, that is, there is a sense of mutual obligation. Yeah, a whole bunch of people are going to show up and help you literally do a barn raising. I've, I've worked at barn raisings, yeah. and uh, there's still a lot of them that go on out here, but when that other guy's house needs to go up, you're going to be there helping him out too, whether it's convenient or no. Right. And they will accept, by the way, in case you're curious, they will accept your help. If you want to, if they're having a barn raising and you want to show up and help them, they will gladly accept your help. And I'm going to tell you, this is a, this is a thing you might want to do. <clears throat> because you can learn a lot of skills from what they're doing. And you can help a, help a neighbor out. There's always good to help a neighbor out, you know. I don't care who who or how. It's to help a neighbor out is a good thing, because we need each other. We are community, whether we choose to to consider ourselves lone wolves or not. We, this doesn't work. You know, the lone wolves starve to death. <laughs> you know, people always talk about oh, I'll be a lone wolf. Yeah, well, lone wolves don't live in the wild. They die in the wild because they cannot hunt successfully by themselves. Wolves use a wolf pack for hunting. They don't successfully live. Individual wolves can only get rabbits. Right. They're not foxes. They're too big of an animal to survive as a lone wolf. So, we're too big of an animal to survive unless we have specific skills that 99.9% of us don't have. That's the core problem. In a small household, there aren't enough people to have developed the wide range of skills 
you need to be able to succeed successfully if you don't have all the support of a modern consumerist culture. Right, and most people haven't developed the infrastructure to survive without everybody else. For example, it's not just about the skills, but if you want to be self-sufficient, you have to be able to grow your own food. Okay, but are you? <laughs> you know, this is what I'm talking about. Are you currently growing your own food? Can you do it? Do you have Do you have the resource? Do you have the land available to um, till up? And even if you do, one of the problems is having enough labor at the right times of year to get that much food in the ground and get that much food back out of the ground because the most efficient things to grow for food are very seasonal in their production. And that's one of the things a larger community can do is at those particular times of year, at planting and harvest, everybody can put aside all the non-essential work, non-essential for the moment work, and gather together in big groups and get a whole lot of agricultural work done in the short window of time when it's best to do it. You just don't have that flexibility of manpower if you are a smaller community. Like a family, individual family. Right. I, I like to, now, I'm sure an Amish community would not <laughs> consider themselves a tribe. But they are. They're tribe. They're all one big tribe. And an interesting part about the, the tribalism is that they support their own. And it is, even though they're very nice and they're very friendly, you should never doubt it is a them and an us situation. We, who are not part of their community, are them. We're the English, we're the, the others, we're the outsiders. The Mennonite people, nice as they are, are the same way. We're them. There's them and there's us. We don't speak the Dutch. Although, I if you want to really, really have some fun with a Mennonite person... <laughs> After they've been walking around, after they've been walking around, you talking in the Dutch and stuff like that. Just just walk by and pat one on the shoulder, and you say, "Yeah, it's very good." And walk <laughs> on, and they'll just kind of go, "Oh." <laughs> German, they're, the Mennonite speech and German are actually quite close. If you can speak German, you can pretty much tell what they're saying. Yeah, they just don't have the understand. you know, those 45-letter-long uh, words that the Germans seem to... Pennsylvania Dutch isn't actually Dutch. It's the word Dutch in that sense is a corruption of Deutsch, which is German. Yeah. it's it's If you speak German, you can kind of understand what they're saying, but, man, they would laugh their hind parts off if I tried to talk back to them in, in my version of German. Not yeah. that many German speakers wouldn't laugh at me. If I got. I, I got to be but. honest with you. Your South St. Louis German is not. It's <laughs> what not can that I good you? German. You know what I'm saying? I'm third generation. These things happen. Now let's talk. I'm going to talk about uh, a story her dad told me because I asked him one time. His father came over from Germany, so she literally is third generation. Um. And her father, a very, very smart man, very, very intelligent. I asked him, I said, how much German do you speak? Because I knew he was raised in a German household. 
and he kind of grinned and said, well, I can get my face slapped. But other than that, <laughs> I don't speak any. And I'm like, but didn't your parents speak speak German? He said, absolutely not. He was one of the youngest kids. He may have been the youngest. But he, he was, was the youngest. Yeah, he was going to say, youngest of 12 or however many kids they had. They had a whole bunch of kids, but he was the youngest. And he was born in America. And um, when his parents came over, and I know this is going to strike a lot of people, oh, yeah, that's the way to do it. But I'm just saying this is how they did it. When his parents came over, they made the decision that they weren't German anymore. They were Americans. And they decided that they needed to speak English in the household, even though neither one of them spoke it. So they learned how to speak English and made their household an English household. So him as the youngest, some of his older brothers and sisters could speak the German because they hadn't learned how to speak English yet. But he never learned it because they did not speak German in the household except for when they were arguing. <laughs> his parents always argued in German because they could get the right nuances on the digs in German. But he told me that, you know, so they would be tearing off about Heavens only knows what in German. And um, he would have no clue what they were talking about. He doesn't have a German name. Some of his older brothers do, but he does not. Interestingly, he had an Italian name. But he, he did not have a German name, which... This is. They even changed the pronunciation of their last name. Right, they Americanized it. it. Yeah, they Anglicized it. So, this is part of how things were back in the day when they came over. You got to realize they came over, you know, around World War One time, and there was a big. Yeah, the Germans were the enemy at, at the Germans that point definitely time. were the enemy, at least in a lot of people's mind. Yeah, there were a lot of German Americans in the United States, but nevertheless. And his parents were certainly not of, they weren't Bavarians. <laughs> and basically, the, their part of Germany was taken over by the Bavarians. So they weren't terribly fond of the Kaiser either. No. <laughs> As were a lot of Americans German of German descent. They were not particularly fond of the Kaiser. There's a reason they left and came to America. Yeah. And it's not because they were the ruling class in Germany. Exactly. So, long story short, this is, um, we're just sharing with you a couple of, of things about, you know, the German immigrants. And this is kind of my little aside for this podcast. And the fact that the Mennonites and the Amish still speak what you'd call Pennsylvania Dutch. And they teach their children. In the household is an indicator of the community. They have a sense of community that doesn't fully overlap with the outside world. Now, I suspect, I don't know this, but I suspect there are levels of outsiders. And those of us who live and work with them often are nearer and dearer to their hearts than those strange people from who knows where they've never met. Because they certainly deal well with us. And they don't deal with us as... If you deal with people in your community with the understanding that you need their good regard to continue to be successful in your community. 
you can deal with people outside your community in whatever way your basic nature takes you, and that is not always as beneficent. So you can tell when somebody really feels you're an outsider, they're much more likely to try and take you and cheat you. And frankly, that's more common between the Amish and standard Americans than the Mennonites and standard Americans, because the Mennonites are more integrated into their communities. Yes, except for the fact that they will develop their own businesses. And basically, once a Mennonite opens a business, at least in our area, once they open a business... All the Mennonites go to that business. Say, for example, if they own a feed, open a feed mill, well, they stop going to the other feed mills, and everybody goes to the Mennonite feed mill because that's their tribe. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it makes perfect sense. And that feed mill is open to everybody, and they, you know, they do a great job. And this, I know this from experience because I happen to be, you know, friends with some people who opened a Mennonite feed mill. Yeah. It's not a Mennonite feed mill. It's it's a feed mill. But, it's a feed know. mill run by Mennonites, and a lot of the Mennonites switch their business there. But it makes perfect sense, because when you do deal with members of a tight community, everybody has a, a invested interest in treating other members of the community well, because everybody knows that if you don't treat well with somebody, everybody's going to know it, and you're going to get backlash from it. I think that's one of the reasons there's so much sharp dealing and dishonesty in uh, standard American society today is because the communities are so large, there's not that sense of, if I cheat this person, it's going to come back and bite me. Right. But if Johann Yoder cheats somebody, everybody in the community knows it, and he's done. He's done. And this is his community. And... By the way, I do know Johan Yoder, and he was not cheated. <laughs> you know, I remember, I'll just go ahead and use Mr. Yoder. It's not his name, but I don't want to get into the guy's actual name. I remember I was part-timing because I was a journalist, full-time. and <laughs> doesn't pay anything. <laughs> he didn't pay, pay enough to live on. So I was part-timing at a local farm and home store or farm and ranch. It's same same type of thing. I was part-timing, and uh, at the time, people came in and they set up credit. Well, Mr. Yoder came in with one of his sons, says, you know, he's going into his own little farm. And uh, he had eight sons, all farming or doing different types of things. And he says, I need to, him to, we need him to set up credit because it's uh, too difficult to keep writing checks for every... Um, single thing you need, and let's just um, get him an account. Get him an account, and I will stand behind him and make sure that if for any reason he does not pay, I will pay you. And as always, if any of my sons are late. At any time on their payments, please call me, and I will make sure it is taken care of immediately. (laughs) This was Mr. Yoder. Yep. That's how it's done. And everybody who knows Mr. Yoder knows 
He wasn't just saying that. He meant it. And this is the type of, of thing that I think as preppers, how does this relate to prepping? Well, we need to find ways to develop tribe. We need to find ways to develop community. Community. We need to hold find... each other responsible. Exactly. And find ways to um, trust but verify. Uh, we're not asking people to trust. We're asking people to trust but verify. I'll use Mr. Reagan's rather brilliant uh, statement there. So, that's basically what I had to say on... Um, I had to say on the issue. We are more successful as communities, but we need to do it in a way that regulates. Actually, I've got one bit of uh, game theory to add. Uh, the people who model how people interact with each other, that branch of economics is called game theory. And they've had people model a whole bunch of different approaches to it. The most successful one overall that they've come up with for how you can act and have all members of the community act to get the most cooperation and the most success out of the overall community is that you start out trusting and the first time somebody mistreats you, you go to mistrust. So you, you treat them well, you treat them well, you treat them well until they treat you less than fairly. And then you don't trust them again. And then after, if they behave for a very long stretch of time, then you give them another chance and start trusting them again. And you continue trusting them until they misbehave. What this does is, first, the community is stronger because starting out with trust is more efficient than starting out with mistrust. You get better success if people are trusting each other. But it punishes misbehavior. Which is important, because otherwise people will absolutely misbehave. And if people do misbehave and get punished, they have a chance to redeem themselves, but it's not immediate and it's not endless. So you make them earn it for a while before you give them another chance. So... Game theory basically supports the way these communities have run for untold generations. <laughs> no big surprise there, but sometimes it's nice to come at things from more than one angle and see that they're... If you get the same answer from more than one angle, it's more than likely the right answer. Okay, I'm done now. Okay, well, there you are. Hope this was of at least of interest to you and uh, something to keep in mind. Thanks for listening. <laughs>